Hello and welcome to the Creativity Snippets podcast with Barbara Wilson and myself, Tracy Stanley. We're passionate about encouraging creativity and are co-owners of the book, Creativity Cycling, help your team solve complex problems with creative tools. Now, Barbara lives near Nice in the south of France and I live here in Brisbane in Australia. We started recording our monthly conversations at the beginning of 2020 to provide information and inspiration on applying creativity to all aspects of your life. Now, as we enter our second year as podcasters, Barbara and I have made the decision to slightly change the format for our podcast. What we plan to do is to have two sections. In the first section, we're going to discuss a creative idea or technique and how you can use it in your home or work life. And in our second section, we're going to have time for reflection where we talk about what we've been thinking or learning or listening since our previous conversation. So it's great to have you along and it's my pleasure to um, pass the floor back to Barbara, who's going to talk about a technique developed by Curtin. Barbara, back to you. Thanks, Tracy. Um, so, yes, what I want to talk about today is, is kind of more of a style than a, a technique. Um, but I want to start to look at different ways in which we are creative. So I've always had the firm belief that everybody has the capacity to be creative. And everybody expresses that creativity in their own way. And we know this from, from the different types of creativity that we see around us and the creativity that we ourselves um, indulge in, I, I guess. Some of us express our creativity by some, taking something already in existence and adapting it. And others may be inclined to develop something totally, totally new. And both are creative. Um, some people may consider that one is more creative than the other, but in my, in my view, both are creative. Now, in organisations, probably the most frequent type of creativity, at the moment anyway, is that which has been, um, which we might call the adaptive sort. So, you know, for example, looking at the mobile phone market, um, mobile phones were uh, an innovative um, amount a type of creativity some some years ago when when they were new to the market now what organizations are do are adapting those mobile phones so that they create different features they they try and um, change the technology as they go along but basically it's it's adapting so this is where creativity moves into the the, the space of innovation and I suppose in a, in a personal way, this is the same thing. It's very similar because people can um, be adaptive in their own life and in their own creativity. For example, um, somebody who um, likes to paint could be adaptive in that they take paintings that they really like and try and use that kind of style to, to recreate something similar. Other people will create a, a style entirely new, entirely different. Um, and again, as I said earlier, both types are creative, it's just that there are different approaches to this. Now, as Tracy mentioned, um, a, a guy called 
Michael Curtin, actually developed a theory around adaptation and innovation to explain these differences. And he said it was a difference in style, that some we have a natural tendency to be either um, at the adaptive end of the creative style or at the innovative end. And he actually created a measurement to, to, to check this out, which has proved to be fairly reliable. Um, so it has a lot of credibility. Now, the differences in the differences in style can create a lot of problems in organizations. So a person who's an adapter um, can be often seen by an innovator as somebody who's not willing to take so many risks. Um, his is wanting to perhaps focus on the detail more. It's probably wanting a more structured way of being creative. On the other hand, innovators can be seen by adapters as, as too risky, as a little bit too um, undisciplined even, wanting to go outside of their structure. It's almost, and, and it's I kind of see it as much more of a metaphor this, but it's almost like comparing in the box thinking around creativity with out of the box thinking. So Tracy, have you got any any thoughts on this? I think I think you described that really well, Barbara, and, and particularly just recognizing that it's different and that one isn't better than the other. I think that's really the most important takeaway for me from that. And there's times when adaptive is more important than something more innovative. And so it's recognizing the circumstances, perhaps when it's best to apply the different approaches. Yeah, thank you. That, that, that's an important point as well, because I think there are times when um, we don't want to totally change the world at, at any particular point. We want to um, improve things really, rather than do new things. Um, in fact, what came to mind then is this, is this sort of sentence, adapters desire to do things better, innovators seek to do things differently. Um, and we can't always be coping with that, that kind of change that an innovator might bring about all the time. Um, but it's interesting in teams when you get in, uh, adapters and innovators working together or trying to work together because often they can um, rub each other up the wrong way. Um, they don't always get on and they can't always see the other person's point of view. Um, I saw this a lot with creative problem solving because we can look at this whole field of creative problem solving and look at the differences between the two, the two styles, if you like. Um, the adapters are, are very much sort of firmly in the um, wanting to use more traditional methods, more traditional techniques in, in creative problem solving. Um, so they'd want to be working with um, I was going to say mind mapping maybe, but sort of more traditional um, brainstorming techniques yeah. that, that keep them within that, that sort of framework. Um, so when their ideas come out, they're often um, ideas that are, are probably much more acceptable to the organization and not pushing it too much, too far. On the other hand, um, the innovative style will be wanting to, they'll be throwing themselves into all that image type work that, that um, 
I often talk about. Um, they'll be loving doing the the pictures and and um, going out on on walks and coming back with um, objects that they can then, you know, f uh, fit to the problem to see what comes out of that. So they'll be they'll be up for doing things in a totally different way, um, and they'll come up with the wilder ideas, um, which in some circumstances are really welcome. So I think, I think in fact, we probably need, we need both when we're doing creative problem solving and we need both to be able to work together somehow. Um, my view on this, Tracy, is that I, I like to push the adapters a little bit to, um, to, to move more into that innovative space. Um, I, I, I'm not sure whether I want to tone down the innovators, so, which is probably showing my own prejudices and my own style, which tends to be uh, more at the innovator end, or it used to be anyway. And just to add a couple of more things around that, um, I think the other thing that could be, um, I mean, uh, Curtin said it was style. I sometimes think, though, we can bring our limiting beliefs into our view of creativity, and and you know, it may, it, it it's a bit like when we look at personality styles or you know the the Myers Briggs, that we may have been um, pushed into working at one end of the spectrum because you know, that's the kind of role we've taken on at work. And it may be that because of that, we've created a whole set of limiting beliefs that we can't go outside of those. Um, which is why when, I, when I've done um, facilitated creative problem solving, I've often started with, you know, brainstorms that ask people to come up with new and, and creative ways of using you know the classic is using a brick for example um, and if you start to give people permission to think outside that box then they often will um, and so that that could sometimes break down that that limiting belief so that's that's um, that's what I wanted to talk about this morning is that yeah, the, the, uh, the creativity can be expressed and is expressed in our own way. Um, it, it's neither is right or wrong. You know, I'm thinking now about just on a small scale in the home when we, when we think about cooking, um, the adapter may take a, a, a recipe that they've got and change it slightly. You know, maybe they haven't got one of the ingredients, so they'll add a a different one to to um, make the recipe work. The innovator will start from scratch and maybe not even use a recipe, um, provided, of course, that they've got the technical competence to do the cooking in the first place. <laughs> I think maybe that brings us round to a whole other area. I think we talked about before Christmas that creativity also needs a certain amount of technical competence, but we've, yeah. we've covered that. So Tracy, um, did you want to add anything else else to that before we move I, on? I can make a bit of a, a bit of a line, a bit of a link between what I wanted to share about my reflections. You know, you made yeah. some comments around self-limiting beliefs and really challenging the way you're thinking to do something quite differently, say moving from adaptive to innovative. And for me, since we last spoke, I've had a bit of a like a real aha moment um, after I read an article about writing 10,000 words a day. So I've been writing books for a long time and I can tell you that books take me from three months to 30 years and I'm 
very keen to sort of follow more the three-month than the 30-year model. And I had tried NaNoWriMo, which is a, um, a competition that runs every year in November where every, writers all write a thousand words a day and try and get a, a basic book written. And I always struggled and I basically have been giving myself, yes, okay, if I do a thousand words a day, then that's that's fine. That's all I can do. And given the way I've been doing it, the careful way I, I, I write it and I incrementally build on the story and I check the word usage as I go, I wasn't capable of doing any more. And then I... I read um, a reference to a writer in another writer's book. Um, I want to mention the writer's book because it's deliciously named. It's a book by John Birmingham called How to Be a Writer Who Smashes Deadlines, Crushes Editors and Lives in a Silver Gold Hovercraft. Um, it's a beautifully written book and <laughs> a beautifully <laughs> written book. And he had this chapter on writing 10,000 words a day and he cited appropriately a lady called Rachel, Rachel Aaron, who talked about the fact that she had small children, she was really time limited. And she said, I had to write faster because I only had small pockets of time. And so she did some thinking and she found that there were three conditions that would help her to write 10,000 words a day. Uh, one is the day before planning what you're gonna write and write the headings down so that when you attack it the next day, you don't have to think about what you're writing you just start. Um, secondly, um, you block everything else out and make sure your time is 100% focused just on the task of writing. So no social media, no partners or children popping in, completely free to focus on the task. And thirdly and importantly, you attack the task with enthusiasm. It's not just a matter of sitting there grumpily, oh, I've got to write this, but yes, I've got to write this and you power through it now. I haven't hit my 10,000 words. I, I am able to write more than 1,000 words an hour. And I'm pretty sure I can get up to 9,000 words. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to set aside the time when I don't get interrupted. But already being able to write 3,000 words a day is such an improvement. It's three times an improvement on what I was doing before. And I'd given up. You know, my mindset was it wasn't possible for me to write more than 1,000 words a day. And I proven myself wrong and I look forward to being able to report in a future podcast that I've finally hit that 10,000 word mark though I know I will be exhausted once I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you Tracy. Interesting um, interesting book, uh, references there as well. Mm -hmm. Let's have a look at John Birmingham's book. Um, yeah. So good luck with that uh, uh, and thank you. And um, again, that, that kind of connected with me with, with thinking about difference in style in writing because um, one of the areas I, I've, um, one of the things I've picked up really this last week or just over a couple of weeks is the importance of um, poetry in our life. And uh, some of the poets I've come across and um, I actually haven't got their names in my head right now, so I wasn't going to quote them, but some of them are ta have taken years to write one poem. And so there are, you know, there are other sides to the writing as well. Some people, when you're writing something very reflective, um, then, and poetry sometimes is very precise in the way it expresses something, then it could also take a long time. So... I don't think any of us should beat ourselves up if we can't write 10,000 words a day. Um, but equally, maybe we all need to challenge ourselves a little bit more as well. Um, 
And coming back to that that sort of uh, ideas over the last couple of weeks at all, thing, in, things that have come up for us in creativity over the last couple of weeks, for me, um, there were two things and they were both to do with the kind of where we get our inspiration from. And the first of those that made a big impact to me was, and I think for many people, was watching Amanda Gorman at Bill, Joe Biden's inauguration in which she recited her poem. Um, and it was so beautifully done. I mean, I, I just, I was moved by not just the words, um, but the way she did it as well, by yeah. her gestures, by her hand movement, watching her face. Um, it was a performance and it was such a beautiful performance um, and so appropriate. And I think if that has sparked off inspiration in people to start reading poetry, apparently her book has gone straight to number one in um, Amazon charts. In fact, it's almost, I tried to get hold of a copy and it's, um, it's impossible to get hold of at the moment, at least yeah. in France. So that, that, um, that in itself, and, and it did inspire me this week to write a poem um, and to go and revisit my um, some of the poems that I've previously written and seeing if I can um, work with some of them. The second source of inspiration, uh, I, I've started attending a meditation session on, on Zoom, something I never thought I'd do before. So I mean, this whole um, lockdown with the coronavirus is is creating lots of new opportunities for, for many of us. And I'm attending a meditation session put on by the Smithsonian Museum of Asian Art. Um, and they have meditation three times a week. And on Fridays, they couple that meditation with a showing of a work of art from their collection. I, I've never really been into Asian art. However, um, so far we've looked at three pieces of art um, because I've only been uh, look, doing this for the last three weeks. Um, and it just has been quite, quite inspiring in, in what I've seen. And yes, it's, it's another way of uh, looking at meditation as well. Um, so it's something new, something different, something mm. I'd never thought to connect with before as well. And I think we all need especially in these times, we all need sources of inspiration. And it's surprising for me where these can come from. So I just wanted to share that with you as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, where are we at then? So we're nearly at the end of this podcast. I mean, what else have you been doing this week, Tracy? Oh, so I have, I've been writing. Um, I've been, um, I wrote, my most recent book was um, Change Stories, Success and Failure in Changing Organizations. And um, I've been taking some of the learning that came from the different chapters and been sharing those through my blog. Um, and this, my most recent blog is all about what it is that change managers do. It's a, it's a very interesting role. It's emerged really in sort of the 1990s and particularly here in Australia, it's becoming more and more prevalent as it's recognized how hard it can be to change behavior and change culture inside organizations and of the importance of having someone just focus on the human element of the change so that it is supportive of the business change. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you. And we'll put our, the references in the notes to the podcast for where you might be able to go and read Tracy's blog there. 
Okay, so thank you, Tracy, for sharing that. And thanks everyone for listening in. Um, if you'd like to learn more about our experiences, <clears throat> you can find us on, on our websites, barbara at barbara-wilson.com and tracy at tjstanley.com. And you can buy our book, Creativity Cycling, Help Your Team Solve Complex Problems with Creative Tools. And that's on Amazon, Google Play and Book Depository. And in it, um, we definitely refer to the adaptive, innovative theory that I mentioned earlier. So if you want to know more about that, also I'm writing a blog about it that will be on my um, website as well. So we all, we both wish you all a creative day um, or in Tracy's, Tracy's life, it's a creative evening now. Um, and speak to you again next month so Thanks, Barbara. thank you <laughs> bye everyone bye, bye. <laughs>